Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Wilderness. Familiar place, isn't it? That place between point A and point B. We've left one thing behind. We haven't arrived where we long to be and we're stuck in between. It is Israel between leaving bondage in Egypt and arriving to the promised land in Canaan that God had offered to his people. It's us between the period of diagnosis and recovery. It's that period of treatment where we're not there yet with our health and well-being the way we want to be. It's the period of bereavement and grief after we've lost someone dear to us and we've not seen our heart begin to mend yet and still hurts and we're not where we long to be. It's when life knocks us off balance and we're flailing with our arms trying to recover our balance and we're not ready and steady again yet. It is that neutral place, that place of transition between point A and point B. We're not yet where we're going to be. And the wilderness is an uncomfortable place for all of us, no matter what kind of wilderness we're in. And it is also a place that raises questions deep in the souls of the people walking through the wilderness. And Exodus chapter 17, which we heard uh, read by Rick and Julie a few moments ago, raises one of the most important wilderness questions that there is. Let's, let's read that passage once more. It'll be on the screen. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Masa, which in Hebrew means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's the big wilderness question. Is the Lord among us or not? You've got to feel some sympathy for these people. They are just human, after all. The desert is a harsh environment. They left Egypt, which, for all of its pain and suffering, was at least a place of some security. They never wondered where their food was coming from or where their water was coming from. And here they are out in this harsh desert. Even liberated slaves can't live on emotion alone. Their souls are one thing, but their physical bodies are another. They need water. They need food. Their basic needs to be needs must be met. Their chapped lips are thirsty for 
a bit of a bit of moisture, and their stomachs growl like anybody else's. The story that's here in chapter 17 is similar to the one in the chapter we looked at last week, chapter 16. The people were out in the wilderness. They had a need. In the previous case, it was they had no food. Now they have no water. They complained to Moses. Moses took the complaint to the Lord. The Lord, in his compassion and grace, offered a, a remedy to that. In the previous case, it was manna that would be out on the ground every day. Now it is a rock that Moses would strike. And then the people receive and have their needs met. That's a very similar pattern, not only in their lives. It's a similar pattern in our lives. We have a need. We complain. We think the world is not treating us right. We may take that complaint to the Lord, and often in grace we find a remedy to that. Maybe not exactly what we were looking for, but God hears the prayers of his people nevertheless. The problem with their complaining to me is the context. What had they witnessed at this point? They had witnessed over a period of months a series of ten plagues that God brought against their captors, the their oppressors in Egypt, and they themselves were spared from those plagues. They had witnessed that. They had witnessed the miraculous delivery through the sea as the sea had parted and they had walked through on dry land and the sea had closed in over their enemies. They had seen that with their own eyes relatively days ago. It hasn't been that long. They had grown hungry in the wilderness and God had provided manna for them. They had had it for breakfast that very morning. There had been quail for dinner not many days before. And so that story raises this obvious question of, haven't these people witnessed the merciful presence of God and the miracle of the heavenly food? Don't they understand that God has saved and protected them up to this point? Would he really bring them out into the wilderness to let them die of dehydration? Does that make any sense at all, given what they've seen of God so far? No, but they test the Lord. They quarrel. And they express their quarrel in this question, is the Lord among us or not? In verse 7. That is a huge wilderness question, and there aren't many in this room who have never asked that question. Why are we here? Why are we going through this if God is on our side? If God cares about us, why are we suffering these things in our family, in our life, in our nation, in our church? Why? Where's God? Is the Lord among us or not? This question is really shorthand for another question. That is, does God care? Does God even care what we're dealing with? Why is God allowing us to be in such a difficult place if God does care? That was the question on the lips of Jesus' disciple in the stories in Mark chapter 4. They were crossing the Sea of Galilee in the boat, and a storm arose, and Jesus was sound asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat. And the disciples are fighting against the wind, and waves are crashing in, and they finally wake him up, and they say to him, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you even care what's going on in the lives of your disciples? Don't you care? It's the same question that was on the lips of the psalmist in Psalm chapter 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm surrounded by my enemies. They are like dogs. They're like lions. They are pursuing me. My life is called into question. God, why have you forsaken me? And those are the very words that fell from the parched lips of Jesus on the cross on Friday afternoon 
as he cried out to heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the wilderness question. And as I said, I, I doubt there are many of us in this room who have never run that question through our mind at some point or another in our lives. How do I know that God cares about me? Does God care about me where I am? How do I find God's presence in the wilderness? How do I experience this God that I've known and that I read about and that I profess my faith in? How do I experience God in the wilderness? That's a good wilderness question. Some of you may have read that beautiful Pulitzer Prize-winning book by Annie Dillard, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. If you haven't, put it on your list. It's worth reading. She lived a year in a cabin alongside Tinker Creek in Virginia, and she spent her days observing in great detail the wonders of creation and writing about it beautifully. Eugene Peterson says that Annie Dillard is to the creation what John Calvin is to Scripture. Annie Dillard studies the text of creation. She observes it in great detail. She draws conclusions about how it points us to the Creator and helps us to encounter the Creator in the process. A beautiful book. One chapter in the book is called Stalking. And she tells about how hard she works at times to see some of the things that apparently don't want to be seen by human beings. One of those creatures are muskrats. She finds that it's very hard to see a muskrat. And so what she finds herself doing is stalking the muskrat, see, sneaking up very quietly to the, the pond and watching and hoping to see a, a V-shaped uh, movement across the lake and, or across the creek and then watch to see that muskrat call out. Sometimes she would just go and plant herself very quietly in some reeds and sit there and wait and hope that a muskrat might appear. Sometimes those critters did and sometimes they didn't. Most times they didn't. But without the effort to stalk them, she would never have seen them. In a sense, in a sense, what you and I are doing is stalking God when we pray, when we worship, when we gather like this, when we read scriptures, when we sit in silence, when we walk in the creation. It is a way of stalking God, of trying to be in the place where should God reveal himself to us, we would be there to receive it. We can't make it happen, but we want to be there to receive his grace. We come to worship every week. There's no promise that we're going to have some amazing encounter with God, but we want to be in the place where God's people are gathered so that when God shows up, we're there to see it. All of our effort in the morning will not make the sunrise, you understand. But unless you're awake at dawn and facing east, you will miss it every single day. There will be days when you're awake and facing east and the clouds cover the sun and the sun is well up into the sky before you ever see it. You didn't see a sunrise, but the sun rose nevertheless. But unless we're in the place where we can see it, we will miss it each and every time. I know, theologically, I believe, that God is present in all places in the universe, that he is equally present. There is Psalm 139 says, there's no place I can go to flee from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I descend to the depths of the grave, you're there. To the east, to the west, there's no escaping the ever-present God. He is fully and completely present in all places. But I also know that I am not always aware of God's presence where I am, that I can live with a, a 
ignoring the reality that God is present. And that's especially true, I have found, during times of trials or during times of difficulties, during the wilderness. It's one of the hardest places to see God because I get so preoccupied with what I'm going through. I'm complaining, I'm grumbling, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry. And it's hard to see God when we are paying attention fully to ourselves. We experience the God who is always with us as being absent from us when we're in the wilderness often. It feels like God is not there. We ask the question, is the Lord among us or not? It's hard to find God's presence sometimes in the wilderness. We ask the storm question of Jesus, friends. Do you not care that we're perishing? We ask the cross question of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a real Christian experience. You're not a less of a Christian for experiencing those kind of struggling questions in the middle of the wilderness. But finding an answer to those questions or a response to those questions requires that we know where to look and what to look for that we know what it means to experience God, find evidence that God is present with us even in the wilderness. We have to, like Annie Dillard, stalk. Now there are a number of places you can look to find evidence of God's presence even when you're in the wilderness. One of those places to pay attention to is God's provisions for our needs. God's provisions for our needs are signals that he is, in fact, present with us. Every autumn, around September, uh, our Jewish neighbors celebrate a festival called Tabernacles, or Sukkoth. And it is a, a festival lasting eight days that reminds the people that when they were in the wilderness, God provided three great gifts to them. There was the gift of light that provided guidance when they needed it, there was the gift of water to quench their thirst, and there was the gift of manna to supply their physical hunger and sustenance. And the, the Feast of Tabernacles is to celebrate those great gifts of Israel. God provided for his people in that in-between place. And when we're in that in-between place, it is God's provisions that we ought to pay attention to and see the ways in which he is nevertheless meeting our needs, that there are fingerprints of God upon our lives in the way that his provisions fall to us. When we're asking, is the Lord among us or not, those ancient people asked that question, and as I said, they'd had manna for breakfast that day. They'd followed a pillar of fire or smoke to the very place where they were standing. God's provisions had already guided them to this place, yet they had failed to see God in the provisions of the day. You and I could open our eyes a little bit more in the wilderness. It might be more important than ever to say a word of thanksgiving over meals during times of wilderness, to realize that God is providing, that God is present, that God is with us. God is no genie in a bottle that we summon up to meet our every whim. That's really bad theology. That sort of approach to God is nothing less than idolatrous. God does not have to do what we say and has not promised that he will do whatever we say. He is no genie in a bottle. We are not in control. But if we look for that in the wilderness, we're not going to find God. But if we look at the things God provides, we find evidence that he is indeed with us. He promised to provide our needs. And the wilderness is the place where we learn to sort out our needs and our wants. We don't need everything we think we need. But what we need, he has promised, 
to provide. Our comforts are not necessarily what he's interested in. He is interested in our holiness and in our character. But he has promised to meet our needs. Part of our work in the wilderness is to learn to distinguish between those two things, comfort and character, needs and wants. Even Jesus in the wilderness, hungry though he was because he had gone 40 days without eating, was tempted to turn stones into bread, but he saw beyond that immediate need to something more important and refused to yield to the temptation. The wilderness is a place where we learn to trust God to provide what we cannot provide for ourselves and what we need to make it through. And the provisions themselves are evidence that God is, in fact, with us, whether we feel anything or not. We sang it just last week. I think Zach called it the Baptist anthem. Great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, we sang. Thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. What are the places in the wilderness we look to be reminded of the presence of God? The place where we experience God is in acknowledging the provisions he makes for our life, however small they may be, how he sustains us and sees us through. Pay attention to that. It's a way of noticing God in the wilderness. There's another place we can look for God in the wilderness, and that's in the evidence of God's presence and what we might call the coincidences of our lives. It's funny how these coincidences sometimes multiply in the presence of prayer, but those coincidences nevertheless are sometimes ways of helping us notice God. Israel had gotten tired of eating manna, and they had told Moses about that. They complained to him about that, and he went to the Lord, and the Lord said, okay, we're going to give them one dinner of quail then. Well, isn't it a coincidence? It doesn't say the quail magically, you know, jumped up out of the ground like the manna or fell from the sky. It's very specific. There were migrating quail, and a wind blew and drove them right over to where Israel is. What a coincidence. Just when they needed something and asked for it, God provided in that way. There's a relationship between prayer and coincidence. The more we pray, I think, the more likely we are to notice the coincidences, the activity of God in our life. And when we fail to pray, those same things may happen and we never see the hand of God. Jack Nicholas, the famous golfer, said there's an interesting coincidence. The more I practice, the luckier I get. I was going through a wilderness period in my life around 1995, 96. Um, there had been a series of things that had just imploded in my life, a struggle within our family with one of our children. There had been uh, an incident on our church staff that was really difficult to navigate our way through. My father had died, and they just a lot of things had all come together at one time. And I was in a pretty dark place, to be honest with you. And I have a friend that he had been one of my students at Houston Baptist University, but he was my age. And we struck up a friendship, and even after we were neither at Houston Baptist University, continued to meet once a year or so just to catch up about what was going on in life and with family. His name was Michael. And so Michael and I had a lunch meeting, and we sat at Bennigan's and ate Reuben sandwiches and talked about what the last year had been like. And I told him all this, the stuff that I was going through. And... Um, enjoyed the lunch. We said our goodbyes. He went on his way. He was a plumber. Uh, the next morning, I got up really early because one of the things I was dealing with, I just couldn't sleep. I'd wake up early and couldn't go back to sleep, and I'd go sit in my chair and try to pray. 
And um, I was, honestly, it was a real complaining prayer that morning. I remember it clearly. I was complaining, God, I don't think anybody even cares what I'm dealing with. I don't think there's anybody in my life that cares what I'm, what I'm going through right now. I mean, I was, that was in my head. Those were words addressed to God. And at about 6.30 in the morning, the doorbell rang. And I went, great. The dog got out and tore up the neighbor's garbage or something. And so I got up and went to the door. And oh, there was Michael standing there. The guy I had lunch with yesterday. He didn't even live in our neighborhood. He was on his way to a job site that took him past Clear Lake. And when I opened the door, I said, Michael, what are you doing here? And he said, I just wanted to come by and tell you that I care about you. I mean, I had, it was like, nobody cares. Ding dong, I just want to let you know that I care about you. Now, coincidence? I don't know. But it's one of those episodes in life that sometimes lets us know that God has not taken his eye off of us. Here's a simple little book, maybe some of you read by a man named Squire Rushnell, that calls these moments God Winks. God Winks. The name of the book is When God Winks at You, How God Speaks Directly Through the Power of Coincidence. He says these moments in our life can be a, a time like at a family dinner when you're at a long table and there's a beloved uncle at the other end of the table who just looks at you across the table and winks at you and lets you know, I've got my eye on you. I know where you are. I know you. And sometimes those moments in life, those God winks, are those times when God just lets us know that just as his eye is on the sparrow, his eye is on you or me. And those are things to pay attention to, I think, those coincidences. Learning to be attentive to those is part of the growth we experience in the wilderness. We learn to see God in the small, coincidental events of our lives. And we pay attention to those and we thank him for them. There's another place we can find God's presence in the wilderness, and it's an unusual place to look. It's a place we wouldn't ordinarily even think about going at a time like that. But it's in the faces of those around us who have needs of their own. The wilderness is a great place to learn about being available to the needs of those who are part of our life. In the wilderness, we can get so centered on our own needs that we forget all about the fact that people around us are in their wildernesses too. They're struggling with things too, and their lives cross our paths. Matthew 25, you know, Jesus tells that story of the nations gathered for judgment, and he says to those on his right, uh, the sheep, he's enter into my father's, what my father's prepared for you, because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was alone and a stranger, and you took me in. I was in prison, and you came to me. I was sick, and you visited me. And this was on his right said, Lord, we don't remember seeing you in any of those conditions. And he said, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. We see Christ in the face of those who have needs that we have capacity to minister to. We experience the presence of God in the face of those whose lives we need to step into. The wilderness is a place where we have a tendency to stop thinking about others altogether and forget that our hands may be the hands of Christ for them. Their hands may be the hands of Christ to us. Our kind words, our listening ear, our compassionate care might be one of those coincidences in their lives that they need to experience, God. But it is the face of Christ we see in those about us who have needs. That's what Jesus said in that parable. There's a story about an old Benedictine abbot who 
uh, ran his monastery. And in the Benedictine culture, uh, Benedictine monasteries have a, a value that says that everyone who approaches is Christ. The face of Christ is in every stranger that shows up. And there's a story about this old grumpy Benedictine abbot who would open the door of the monastery to the knock and there'd be a stranger there and he would say, oh, it's you again. Well, Christ shows up again and again in our lives if we have eyes to see him. How do you experience God in the wilderness? In his provisions, in those coincidences, those God winks and those moments when someone with need shows up. Answering the wilderness question requires some kind of initiative and engagement on our part. It's not automatic. We can choose to be like the Israelites with ignoring the evidence of God's presence and mercy and goodness and complaining and griping about what we don't have, or we can stalk. We can go on watch for evidence of God's presence. We can sit in silence and listen for God's spirit to speak comfort or peace to our hearts. We can read scripture and listen there for the voice of God. We can practice daily prayer and sort out our needs from our wants and ask for our daily bread and our manna to sustain us just enough to get us by. And when those things show up in our lives, we can see them as the provision of God's hands. We can keep track of God's provisions, maybe even with a gratitude list, something that reminds us in physical form of what we've seen God do in recent days. We can notice those in our lives where Christ comes to us in the form of others with needs. We can attend to the coincidences that crop up in our lives. We can do that and experience God. I'm not saying that any of these things will catapult us out of the wilderness and take away the pain of it or the difficulty of it or, or the struggle of it, but they help answer the question, is the Lord among us or not? They help us remind us that God walks with us through the wilderness. He does not abandon us in our hurt. We learn to say with the psalmist, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I still walk through that valley, but I do not walk alone through that valley. We learn to confess with the Apostle Paul from a prison cell, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As long as we're in the wilderness, we're going to have needs that we can't meet on our own. Those we must take to God in prayer and faith and then watch to see what happens. Pay close attention to how those needs are met, what resources develop, who shows up in our lives. But ultimately, the answer to the question, is the Lord with us or not? The answer is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. He has demonstrated to us what it means to enter this wilderness of ours, and he has borne the pain of it. When God most clearly and personally revealed himself to us, he did it in Jesus on the cross as a God who enters our suffering, a God who is with us in our pain, who bears our suffering, who loves us in our suffering, and who does not abandon us in our suffering. And the Apostle Paul wrote Romans chapter 8, those last beautiful verses from 31 to 39. He wrote them as testimony. He is not in this moment, theologian in an ivory tower somewhere thinking about what Christ's love is like. He is one who has experienced the love of Christ and he's writing a word of testimony. I'd like for us to read Paul's word of testimony there at the end 
of Romans chapter 8. I'd like us to read it together. The scriptures will be on the screen and just read aloud with me together. This word of testimony answering the question, is the Lord among us or not? Let's read together. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is testimony. Is the Lord among us or not? He surely is. You see him in his provisions. You notice his winks that he is still paying attention despite your suffering. And he shows up in the face of those who need a hand, a word, a kindness from us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you hung on the cross Friday afternoon and cried out in forsakenness. Yet even then, feeling abandoned, you were not abandoning us. You entered our world to die for our sins. You came to this broken place and our sin broke you. On the cross, you were with us, letting us know that our God does not forsake us and that nothing we experience is stronger than your love for us. In our wilderness, we pray, help us to learn that your love is truer than any of our circumstances, more valid than any of our feelings, deeper than any of our suffering. And in the knowledge of that truth, Lord, bring us comfort and healing. Grant us grace to see your hand extended in the provisions you make for us. Your eye upon us like fallen sparrows in those coincidental moments when you wink. Your arm extended to us in the lives of those whose needs we are able to meet. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.